Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Kalima Book Club. I'm Samia. I'm Shaheen. Assalamu uh, Yes, and we are today moving to our second session. And uh, you know, for the f in the first video, last video, we got a comment that we hadn't talked about the name of the book. We write it always in the description, and it's all over our, our thing. But the book that we're reading is The Refinement of Souls by Imam Ibn Atta'illah al-Sakandari. That's the book we are reading. So today we, uh, what was our pages we were discussing, Shaheen, today? 15 to 26. Yes, 15 to 26. And so welcome back. I just wanted to thank everyone because I think we had such a great turnout. Um, mm -hmm. Right? Like messages and our friends and families and then like random people and they're just like joining us reading. And all of you guys were so grateful to have you on board and talking about the book with us. I think it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And there's so many views after the live as well, right, on YouTube. Yeah, it kind of went crazy. And yeah. we were not anticipating it, but alhamdulillah, this is very nice. Because the more people that we can share their spirituality goals with, that our struggles with, the better it is. And I'm happy for everyone who joins us. So we made some few changes. Last one was the first one. This one we're going to make a little bit changes. But we're still going to start with the quote of the day. Um, let me share that. All right, quote of the day is, By Allah, your life begins from the day you knew Allah. And this is when Imam Ibn Ta'illah again says something beautiful. <laughs> Knocks me <laughs> off your feet. But this was on page 15. I find this book is, it's very, okay, obviously it's beautiful, but it's also very straightforward. And it's not... We mentioned it again, it's not too much fluff, but it's also full of so much wisdom. And I mm -hmm. feel that as we move towards, inshallah, towards bettering ourselves, it will continue to affect us that way. Like there will be more and more things that will come up that I didn't notice now and they will come up later. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So the quote that we shared was on page 15. Is there something that you want to say about it, Shaheen? Um, no, because that was not one of the quotes that touched me personally. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I think this quote. I, mean, I think that was one of the ones that you had put there. So I was I was looking forward to hearing what you had to say about it. Well, it is on in the middle of page 15. And mm -hmm. the whole quote is, By Allah, your life does not begin from the time you were born. Nay, your life begins from the day you knew Allah. Mm -hmm. And... He's talking about kind of, you know, like when you're reawakening yourself and everything that you did previously doesn't really matter. Everything you did previously mm -hmm. is something that really not only doesn't matter, but that it's absolutely worthless. Like this is his approach. Like everything you did before, it doesn't count. Everything begins when you say, all right, I, I am now here with Allah. And that's when it truly begins. And so we're constantly trying. And I think the beginning of life is not like a literal beginning of life. It's more like it is beginning. Your spiritual awakening is when you're truly alive. Mm -hmm. Like all of that. Everything else becomes unimportant. That's how I saw this quote. And it really hit me. 
for that reason. Yeah, now that you say that, it makes a lot more sense. I think the kind of like life of the heart, right? Not life of your body. Yes, but then he's also saying life of the heart is the only thing that's important. Everything else isn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it kind of mm-hmm. makes sense too because, you know, when you go think of the hereafter and stuff, your body decomposes. It goes through all that, you know, Allah raises it and everything, but it's mm-hmm. always secondary. Your soul mm-hmm. and your heart is always the topmost thing. Everything mm-hmm. else is always secondary. And I think that's kind of, what he's saying here as well to me yeah that's what i thought about that so uh actually we have a title on the screen and i forgot to mention (laughs) so the title uh we're gonna divide this discussion into different titles and we have four different titles for you guys and the discussion that is being divided is based on the pages that we read so shaheen tell me a little bit about how you divided the the um, title so that everyone can be on the same board. Okay, so basically last time, um, the way we kind of went through the discussion is that we were going in order, like we went page by page, or, and you know, we were just kind of picking out quotes that stood out to us and we we're having a discussion. But I guess some people, some of you guys pointed out that we should have had more structure. So we took that into account and we decided that this time we're going to take our reading and we're going to basically divide it into four sections. So we came up with these four sections. The title is going to be on the screen. And then we're going to share a quote from the section, which is also going to be on the screen. And then we'll share some extra quotes as well. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll probably just read those quotes. And then we're going to talk about it. So that way you guys have more structure um, as we're going through our discussion. Yes. And I don't know if you guys had a chance to see the show notes. Um, if you go to click on the link in the description, the show notes will take you there and all the codes that we discussed are all over there. So you can go back to it, copy and paste them. If you if you decide to use them like in their social media, please tag us. I want to see how you use the quotes. I think that would be wonderful. Okay, so moving on to the first on envy. So this was the beginning section that he began. Envy is sheer ignorance. That's the title that I have in my book. And this is a quote that we wanted to share. You are occupied with what you have not been given. This is like an umbrella of, of envy when you're mm-hmm. occupied with not been given. So, Shani, do you want to begin with the discussion on this one? Um, yeah, sure. So, I, in the the paragraph where this quote came from, he was basically talking about how um, the worldly-minded people, right, like people who are kind of obsessed with this world and not the hereafter, they're focused on the things that they have and they're preoccupied with it to the point where they're not really focusing on the things that are important, right? Um, but it kind of makes sense for them to be preoccupied because they have those things. So he's saying it's even more ridiculous and it's more ignorant of somebody who doesn't have those things because it's like you're getting distracted with something you don't even have, right? So, you know, it's one thing if Allah gives you and then that thing that that thing distracts you, but like you don't even have that thing. Like maybe you're focused on somebody else's money or, you know, their family or their success or something like that. And it's it's ignorance because it's not like the smart thing to do right like the smart thing to do for a believer is to focus on what matters to focus on the hereafter to focus on their own blessings but when you're concerned with other people's blessings and what they have been given it's it's a type of ignorance so i think that's i think that's why he says envy is sheer ignorance you know actually um i was listening to on instagram um Abdul Rahman Murphy, he was doing a reading of an Al-Ghazali book. I don't know which one it is. And he said something that has been really hitting me since then. And he mm-hmm. said that when you are looking at somebody and you're like, wow. Like at that moment, you are completely ungrateful what you really have right now. So you're like, wow, this person has so much. At that moment, you're like, oh, I am not grateful for what I have. 
that that kind of goes through in the back of your mind and i'm like oh this is very true i don't know like um a long time ago i used to watch those house hunters international have you seen those <laughs> i used to watch those shows. i don't know it sounds familiar though <laughs> it would be like a couple would be like hunting for a house that either locally or internationally doesn't matter and mm-hmm. they would be hunting houses and they show you the houses and stuff and and i remember this was a couple of years back and mm-hmm. i would watch them i'm like yeah they come to a point where i started wanting that too you know mm-hmm. i'm like oh wow the beach house wow you know it makes yeah me, and then i was like you know it's making me want to feel like the house i have right now is like not good enough like i literally had that and i'm like okay i need to stop watching this because it's mm-hmm. like not only making me you know it's making me ungrateful for what i already have and i think that yeah. happens a lot when you're looking at something for me that was that was my weakness and i figured it out and for other people or for you who's watching it might be something else and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, look, this is something so beautiful. Oh, I wish I had that. Even if it comes into someone's sense of spirituality. Because mm-hmm. on Instagram, I know that we share a lot of that stuff. And there's some mm-hmm. people who are doing, mashallah, amazing things. And you're like, oh, no, I don't. But, but are you cultivating what you have, the state that Allah has given you right now? Are you mindful of it? Are you cultivating it? Um, so that makes me think of all of those things. This quote. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. next thing um, I, I had to share was also on page 15. And it was, uh, what a world of difference there is between felicitous people and wretched people. Uh, when felicitous people see a person committing act of disobedience to Allah, they outwardly condemned him while privately praying for him. So this is talking about when you see somebody doing something wrong, how do you address that? And he says, uh, goes on, in contrast, wretched people may condemn the person of self-gratification and even tarnish his reputation. So I, I think it really occurred to me because at this point we're going through something online in our Muslim community. There's a lot of disturbances happening. And how to approach that, it is so important. And I loved how he said that the wretched person completely a person destroyed is someone who tarnishes their reputation and focuses on them. And when the person who is truly felicitous, like what is another word to say that? Cause I cannot pronounce that. Like a <laughs> um, blessed I person, happy person. people maybe. Yeah. A person, <laughs> right. Let's use yeah. that. <laughs> a righteous person is focused on, okay. Yeah. You, you're not silent in that way that you are open about saying, okay, this is wrong. And I say it openly, but then inwardly, we're making dua for that person because we care about it. That person is a believer, is a Muslim, regardless of wherever they stand. We care about that person and we feel the loss, right? Because Mm -hmm. when we see someone doing something wrong, it hurts. And we have a lot of hijabis, mashallah, who are now removing their hijab too, and it's painful. Like, we're like, no, please don't do this. This is what I find myself doing. Please don't, please, you know, because this is something beautiful. And... And the embracing of that, of, of something that is good, is beautiful. And when mm-hmm. it's the opposite, is painful. And I think that focus needs to be, let me make dua for that person rather than let me call them out or cancel them in my understanding of it. Mm-hmm. you have anything more to add? I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the whole hijabi thing because I feel like we go off of people's appearances so much. Like, um, it's one thing to advise somebody in private because you care about them, because you have 
built that relationship with them where you you know you have this mutual understanding and you know mutual care and concern for somebody but if you're just a random person on the internet like first of all why are they going to listen to you right and then the, the way some people in the comment section kind of like condemn them to hell or like you know just judge them and make all these sort of assumptions about their personal life I just feel like um, whoever's doing that like I think really needs to watch themselves and like really just check themselves on the inside like like are you really advising them for the sake of Allah like are you are you just kind of trying to feel better about yourself you know that's according to to him that is a behavior of a wretched person who openly condemns yeah. them and yeah the righteous person is always like hey this is kind of wrong but then you're making the offer that person at the same time Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always wonder, has there been like a brother who has like shaved his beard and made it like a point of it? <laughs> I don't think I've seen one. I love that. Oh my God. But yeah, I mean, the, we, oh yeah, oh my God. But I don't know. I don't know if there would be the equal amount of condemnation if he was shaving his beard because, oh, it's only a beard, brother. But then, oh, a hijab, you might as well not even be a Muslim. It's like, you might want to slow down yeah. on that. Maybe that's not the best approach. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure how much judgment brothers get when they are not like outwardly looking religious. I guess it depends on the people they keep company with because I have seen both. I guess some some people they do get a lot of judgment, mm-hmm. and like if they don't if they don't like have a long beard or you know if they don't have like you know wear their pants above the ankles, then in some circles they are judged as well. Yeah, I think it's some yeah. very like like a strict circles where people are not very open minded. <laughs> You know, um, and where there's a lot of focus on the outward appearance, I guess they get can they can get judged as well. Yeah. But I think online, um, there definitely is a lot more policing of women and their hijab choices. Definitely. It reminds me of the previous session we talked about in that emulation is important, outward and internal. I think on mm-hmm. the other side, when the whole situation happens, is that focus goes to too much on the internal, on that person who might be struggling. So they're like, oh, uh, you know, this is just a piece of cloth. It doesn't really matter. But what mm-hmm. we're learning is that outward mm-hmm. and internal are both equally important and they need to go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. And so we don't diminish any side. But at the same time, we approach the person going through that with a little bit more compassion and not condemnation of that person. Um, and, and then uh, on our part, we are privately praying for him, as he says. Yeah. Yeah. So anything else you wanted to add on this section before we move on to the next topic? Yeah, I feel like the more we talk about it, the more like thoughts are coming to me. I was just thinking about how like when we preoccupy ourselves with what other people are doing, it's like it's almost as if we've forgotten how much work we have left to do. So true. Like it's it's like like people just kind of they always are in other people's business, especially online. Like, oh, did you hear what this person did? Did you hear what this person did? But it's like, have you taken care of your own self today? Like, have you done your muhasaba? Which you know, the word muhasaba I forgot to define it last time. It was basically taking yourself to account, right? Like, um, taking account of your deeds that day, right? Um, reflecting on your deeds, um, what you did wrong that day, what what did you do right, stuff like that. So it's like people think that they have like they're basically done working on themselves that they can now go and comment on other people right and um i don't want to take away from like the whole idea of like you know um enjoining the good and forbidding the evil but it's like people i think they just they're always when when you're always in other people's business or you always have somebody else to talk about it kind of reflects the state of your heart because 
you know, it, it's like, where are your priorities? Like, why, why are, why is other people's life, like, like, why, why are other people's lives such a big concern, right? Yeah. I mean, forbidding good, um, forbidding evil, and joining good, there's etiquettes to that. Mm-hmm. And for me, just to be talking about a person who's like in another country, it makes no sense. It really mm-hmm. doesn't. Unless I'm addressing it into my private group of circle, we were talking about an issue. Okay, let's address that. But if I'm mm-hmm. just going to be like, oh, I cannot believe, you know, comment, comment, comment. How could you? Mm-hmm. You're destroying our deen. Well, they're not responsible for your deen. They're not responsible for my deen. We're responsible for our own deen. And honestly, yeah. if at this point, if I'm like looking at a person who does something wrong and, and I feel shaken in my faith, that's mm-hmm. a fault in me. You know, yeah. I allowed that person to be a source of figure for me when they weren't even worthy of it, clearly, you know? Yeah. So we have yeah. to be really mindful, like, what are we really doing here? My, yeah. Is my condemnation, what is that doing? Mm-hmm. I like what you said. It's like focusing, not even focusing on yourself. That's what this is. It's not, yeah. Yeah. All right, should we go to the next topic? Yes, let's go. All right, the next topic is uh, on self-rectification. And this is a quote that we wanted to share with you guys. If you see in yourself apathy to obedience, base desires, and obliviousness, then know that these are attributes from yourself. But if you see in yourself remorse, humility, and abstinence, then these are from the workings of Allah. So Shaheen, what did you want to talk about about this quote? Um, well, I think this is primarily a call to humility. Because I think what he's trying to say is that if you see bad in yourself, if you're obeying your nafs, if you're obeying your desires, if you're falling into sin and obliviousness, which is kind of like being heedless of Allah, then that's from yourself because you have allowed yourself to be distracted. You've allowed yourself to be taken away from the remembrance of Allah. But then he says, if you see in yourself remorse, inaba, um, humility and abstinence, um, and I'm, I'm assuming that means abstinence from sin, then he said from the workings of Allah. So it's kind of like, anything good that we see in ourselves we're supposed to attribute it back to Allah and um, that this reminds me of something that my one of my teachers taught me um, taught us in, in school a long time ago um, in Surah Al-Kahf there's a story of the two the two men right and um, with the gardens and then um, the one who had the garden that was flourishing he was kind of like he became arrogant and he started attributing the, um, the success to himself mm-hmm. and then his believer like I guess his uh, more righteous friend he reminded him that you know that all of this is from Allah but he didn't he wasn't like kind of taking the advice and then the next day when he when he came like everything was destroyed and that was his you know lesson that he had to learn and I still remember that the one thing my teacher said from that story she's like always give the credit to Allah like it's okay to talk about your blessings and your favors I mean Allah's favors upon you you're supposed to do that you're always supposed to, to give the credit back to Allah. It's never supposed to be like, oh yeah, I did this because of me. Like, I'm so smart. I'm so awesome. It's supposed to always take you back to Allah. I think that's actually difficult for a lot of people because I've heard some comments where, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, so I have this blessing, but I worked for it. You know, like we hear that, especially now uh, with the current social environment, yeah. there's a lot of that. Yeah, but I work for it. Well, not really, you know, like I, I would say, that the let's say how you grew up Mm -hmm. that was not on you that was all Allah's gift to you so let's say that you grew up in a and you did not have an abusive household you did not Mm -hmm. have an alcoholic parents you did not have 
to take care of your kids while your parents are working at nights. You didn't have to, not your kids, like your siblings, you know? Mm -hmm. If you didn't have to do any of that, that is a gift from Allah to you. And so for you to say, mm -hmm. oh, I worked hard enough, well, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah, working hard is one, one equation of it. But in the end, mm -hmm. all of everything you are has been given to you by Allah, period. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I, I think that statement kind of, it, I think it's what people, it's, it's coming from a place of like, where, well, what I did, does it not matter? Or like, um, does it does it not hold any weight? And the thing is, yes, it does hold weight, but it's because Allah allowed you to do that. Like you may have you may have worked for the blessing. Nobody's saying that you didn't work for it, mm -hmm. but Allah allowed you to work for it. Like, you know, if you used your brain, Allah gave you that brain. If you used your limbs to get to where you are, Allah gave you those limbs. You know, um, the hidayah, the 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 tawfiq to work, like you know, basically the ability to act on the guidance. Allah gave you that too. Mm -hmm. So. So you may have worked for it, but you could have never worked for it on your own as well. Yeah. What a, we're completely dependent on Allah, subhanAllah. So moving on to um, page 19 on this mm -hmm. section, I have a quote written down here. Mm -hmm. um, a real man, I believe that's your quote actually. A real man is, yes. <laughs> is not someone who screams amongst people in gathering. Rather, a real man is only he who screams over himself and steers it back to Allah. Let's talk about a real man. Okay. <laughs> um, actually, the title is Who is a Real Man? And I just love that. I just love when I saw it, I'm like, yes. Because, because we have a complete messed up understanding sometimes. And he's mm -hmm. saying, is that someone who can control himself? What did you think of when you chose this quote? Um, I guess for me, it was, I was thinking of it in the bigger picture because this is a Tezkiyah book, like self-rectification self and purification of the heart kind of book. So I was like, you know, when, whenever one of us sets out on a journey to rectify ourselves, we kind of think that now it's our job to like preach to everybody. Right. Like just because we're doing something now, we're like, oh, everybody should be doing it. You know, our whole household has to be the same way. Everybody and like, you know, in our family has to be the same way. So we kind of go around preaching to people mm -hmm. and we have just started the journey. You know, we probably only taken a couple of steps towards Allah and we want everybody to come with us, you know. Um, so that, that's where I was kind of looking at it from. But he's like, no, you're not a real like a real man or a real woman, I would say. Like, you're not a, like a real believer if you're just like screaming amongst people like, hey, do this and hey, do that. And like, you're not a good, good enough Muslim and, you know, your hijab is not right and whatever. And um, it, he's saying that you're, you're really like true in your basically like your your aim to come closer to Allah if you're like yelling at yourself by right? yelling like, you know, just taming your own ego like don't try to tame other people's ego just tame your own ego first kind of thing i i actually liked the tame of your ego because that's the second thing that i wanted to share about this i love his analogies his analogies all over this book and most of them are nature oriented um and this one he talks about this is what he says whoever is concerned with this world and not bothered about the hereafter is like someone to whom a lion approaches for the kill and then a flea comes and bites him. And so he becomes distracted with the flea from paying any attention to the lion. So this mm -hmm. is a continuation of what he's talking about screaming, that you're so concerned about the flea, which is so insignificantly small. And there's a line mm -hmm. in front of you, which to me is like our own selves, our own egos, our own base desires, our own all of those weaknesses. That is in mm -hmm. front of you, but I'm so focused on like a little bite that I'm getting from from nothing. And I just love that analogy. Line attack mm -hmm. versus a flea. 
attack. That's what I mm-hmm. called it. And it's like just it's yeah. on the side of my note. Yeah. And he continues and he says, whoever is heedless of Allah busies himself with the trivial, whereas the one who is not heedless of him will preoccupy himself with none other than him. So in this essence, the lion is everything that has to do with Allah and the flea is everything that doesn't. Yeah. And how that completely narrows our cause, our, our concerns down. Like nothing else. And then he just narrows it down to just one thing. There's nothing else that we need to be worried about. Mm-hmm. That's what made me thought, think of that. That was on page 20 for those who are reading alongside us. It's on top of the page 20. Um, so, Shaheen, you have another quote there on page 23. You want to talk about it? Okay. And to the same topic of self-rectification, right? Yeah. Okay, so the quote was, um, Have you ever seen a lover who does not wish to meet his beloved? Whoever wants to know what his reality is with Allah and his and see his standing with him, then let him look at his prayer. It is either with calmness and humility or with heedlessness and haste. So, Obviously, the first part, like, have you ever seen a lover who does not wish to meet his beloved? It's kind of just, we all know what that kind of feels like, right? Like, the person we love most in our life, we always want to talk to them. We're always thinking about them. We, you know, um, want to spend as much time with them as possible. But when it comes to salah, salah is literally our, like, communication with Allah, right? It's our one-on-one time with Allah. And the way we treat that, the way we come to it, the way we look forward to it or not, um, kind of shows us how much love and respect we have in our heart for Allah. Because if we really loved Him like we should, then we should we would be looking forward to prayer. We wouldn't kind of be like, oh, it's the but it's okay. I'll just pray later, or like you know, just you know, and just procrastinating and not really being passionate about salah. But I think I think when you have when you're when you're passionate towards something and you can't wait to go do that, mm-hmm. that's what shows what you really love. And he says that here, measure and weigh yourself with the prayer. And yeah, I, it did really. Um, this was a kind of a part of this book where I had to like take a deep breath because this is something I personally struggle with, and I, I mentioned that before. Just focusing on the prayer and making mm-hmm. it something that you're like, oh, I really want to do this. And there's some moments where I've felt that, and it's been so beautiful. But that's not something that happens a lot it happens like super rarely and Mm -hmm. and i feel really bad for that and he says that if you have to drag your feet to the prayer then cry over yourself i'm like oh my god you know like let me just let me just and um yeah that's what's something that i just really had to pause and think about and uh, you know the meeting with your beloved i relate to that as well because i remember there was a time when uh, my husband was away for like two months and he was coming back and I was going to pick him up and you get that butterflies in your stomach and you're like, yeah, I'm going to meet him. You know, it's that feeling that needs to exist on a very pure level with Allah. And mm-hmm. I don't, and that is really hard. And he says, cry over yourself if you can. I'm like, yeah, I am. Because it's, yeah, <laughs> it's sad. You're missing a sweetness, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I love how the words he used. He's like, look at your prayer. Is it with calmness and humility mm-hmm. or heedlessness and haste? And I think the haste part, like maybe somebody's spending time in their prayer, but they're heedless. But then other people, like they're kind of just, they're just rushing through their prayer. So there's different there's different ways in which you can be disconnected from your salah. Mm-hmm. It's not just one way. Yeah. That's, I just found that really, like he was just right on point with the word, he with was. the word choice, you know? 
And also thinking about prayer is, you know, you had the five daily prayer, but then you have all the optional ones, the mm-hmm. same regard for them as well. And I think that's a journey that I want to take. I don't know how, but like he mentions later on, we'll talk about how purification is everything. And that would help to get us there where we are thinking of Allah as, oh my God, I can't, I can't wait for the prayer time to come so that I can, I can be there again. And then mm-hmm. obviously then when you are on your deathbed, then you're like, oh, I'm going to meet Allah. It's that same desire. Oh, I can't wait, you know, mm-hmm. because you've been waiting for all this time. And yeah, that's, when you said that, it kind of got goosebumps because I remembered that statement from, um, well, the Prophet was talking to Aisha, right? And he, he was telling her that whoever loves to meet Allah, Allah loves to meet him. Mm. And then she asked him, like, well, don't we all hate death, though? Like, are we all afraid of death? But I, I don't remember how he explained it, but I think it was something about, like, the believer and when they long for Allah. Like, it's not about not being afraid of death because we're all afraid of death, right? Mm. It's more about, like, how much do you want to meet him in the afterlife? Yeah. We all do, but we just have to prove yeah. it. We have to prove yeah. it, and we have to make it yeah. part of our everyday existence. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, so, um, yeah, we're going back. We're going back to page 18. Okay. For some reason. Yeah, we're doing it now. It is <laughs> under the, uh, the title, Reality of Faith, is it? On page 18, yes. And yeah. uh, nothing repels the descent of divine succor like pride. Rain only settles on shallow lands, not on mountain peaks. I just love that imagery and I drew it. I drew the whole scene on the side of this book. Oh, you did? Yeah, because the rain is coming down and it's not setting on somebody. This rain, Allah's blessings, Allah's love, our love for him, everything that we just talked about that we want to attain, it cannot settle into a place which is on a high point. It always settles in the valleys. The rain settles in the valleys. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to, it's just simply going to slide down if you have so much pride within you. And that is something to always remember that we're talking about how to achieve that. Well, mm-hmm. we have a certain sense of pride within us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do have like a difficulty sometimes. Like what does, what does pride really mean? Because sometimes mm-hmm. we're like, oh, pride is about oh yeah, I have the best clothes, I have the best house, but pride is more deeper than that. I think that's like a shallow mm-hmm. level of pride. Then you have this deep level of pride, which is something I have a hard time still truly understanding. And that's probably why I have struggled with prayer, mm-hmm. putting the two together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess I have to seek within myself and find out, okay, where is that pride that's coming in where I'm not making that connection? Mm-hmm. Do you have anything to say about it? No, I think I think you explained it well. Mm. Um, then you have something else on page 9. Um, 9 or? 19, sorry, page 19. Okay. And it is, Do not think that the unfortunate person is someone who is a war captive or a prisoner. On the contrary, the truly unfortunate person is someone who disobeys Allah and brings into this pure kingdom the filth of disobedience. And, you know, another quote later on, but we don't have to go through that one. But I think the reason why I really wanted to write this down is mm-hmm. in his entire reading that I've read so far, he talks about disobedience. He doesn't talk about kufr or disbelief. He talks about disobedience. Like, we're not even concerned about kufr. Like, it's not even 
it's out of the realm of the consideration of this book or of of saving our souls you know is disobedience mm-hmm. which is everything and that just mm-hmm. and he mentions it over and over again and i just really you know really think about it because every time we do something that is an act of dis- disobedience it's not a small matter it's a big deal mm-hmm. yeah want to add on to this a little bit i i was trying to think about why okay i was trying to think of which which word in arabic would he have used for disobedience because um or or for or for somebody who disobeys allah because there are different levels of disobedience Mm -hmm. and i wish that we had that insight to be able to tell which level of disobedience he's talking about because the word disobedience to me is very powerful i think it implies somebody who is committing sins out of carelessness or out of a disrespect or a disregard for who Allah is because what I'm thinking about is we're all gonna sin right and like Allah said that if we weren't if we were not gonna sin then he would replace us with people who who would sin just so they could ask for forgiveness Mm -hmm. so we are meant to slip like that we, we are created that way we're designed to fall but that's why I'm really curious about his his use of the word disobedience because um, he really said that, like, the the quote that you just read, he was saying that he brings into this pure kingdom the filth of disobedience, right? And I think to me that's a very powerful imagery. So um, I can't be sure, but I, I, I the, the image that I'm getting is some of somebody who's like a transgressor, right? Somebody who constantly is transgressing the limits of Allah, someone who's committing the, uh, the, the major sins, maybe somebody who is, um, you know, taking away the rights of others or causing destruction, those kinds of sins are the ones that I am imagining um, that he's talking about, though I can't be sure. Well, for me, I think, from what I understand so far, is that depends on where you are in your spirituality. So if a person who is already, mashallah, not doing those things and they have reached a certain level, then they're not safe from this either because then their level of transgression, which may appear us to us to be small, is still yeah. pretty great. So maybe that's where the, it's not a blanket statement, but it depends on, on what your level is and yeah. and how much do you care for sin? Like how, how much do you really value yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that last thing you said makes sense. Because I don't remember who said this. Was it like one of the Sahabas who talked about the sin um of how a person sees a sin as a fly, as a fly, and I see a sin as a mountain. I don't. Know. Yeah, he said. Yeah, it was a statement of the Sahabi. He said that the, he said that the um the the fajr, meaning that the person who transgresses a lot, they see, um they see the sin as a as a fly that he can just like swat away. A it's not, bit, a big, not a big deal. The believer sees it as a mountain. Yeah, the believer can't forget about their sins because it's like a burden weighing down on him. Yeah. How important. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a little bit crazy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So now we're going to move on to the next topic on hardship and trials and risk and tribulations. I myself felt that this was something really relevant, and so this mm-hmm. is a quote that we had: "How many states are hidden in you? When trials and tribulations befall, they are revealed. The most sinful of them is doubt about Allah, and doubt about one's provisions is in reality a doubt about the Provider Himself." And Shaheen, he chose this quote, and it was nice. Would you like to share what 
What made you choose I did. I had, I had one reflection about it, and then now when you read it, I had another reflection about it. So Pile on the reflections. <laughs> okay, so um, it, what, what he was saying, like, when trials and tribulations befall, like, it, it reveals the inner state of our heart, right? It reveals our inner state um, that we might not even know of. Um, so I think that's one benefit yes. of trials and tribulations mm -hmm. that he's getting at, that um, not only is it going to purify you, but it's also going to let you know what kind of person you are, right? Because in hardship, our, you know, true colors come out. You know, we, we, we are exposed to the parts of ourselves that we may not want to be exposed to. Yeah. Um, that was one. And then he said, the most sinful of these things is doubt about Allah because, you know, when we have problems, we're like, oh, like, why did Allah do this to me? Or, you know, why would Allah do this to me if I'm a believer? Or like, you know, just we start questioning things. Um, and I know he specifically mentions like, thing about provisions but i think that that same idea can apply to basically any of allah's names like when people sin and then they fall into despair mm -hmm. they believe they, they lose they lose hope in allah's mercy right mm -hmm. so and, and we're not allowed to lose hope in allah's mercy as believers it's like it's haram for us to do that you know because shaitan did that and then he here he's saying that doubt about one's provisions is in reality a doubt about the provider so like when you think that you're not going to be taken care of mm -hmm you're doubting who Allah is because Allah already promised to take care of all of us. I mean, if he takes care of the birds and the animals, then what about us, right? He even takes care of the kuffar. So, you know, why wouldn't he take care of us? And I think that in a in a state of hardship, we fall into despair and we, we start to like become like uh, doubtful, right? We, be we become doubtful about Allah's um, mercy on us and you know that where is the provision going to come from is Allah even going to provide for me astaghfirullah and um, like on the provision point this was the reflection that I had initially written down that I was asking myself how can I overcome my fear of lack of provision especially with like COVID mm -hmm. going on this was something I was personally struggling with and you know I've you know been out of a job for a while and I was kind of like okay like and if, even if I have provision, how is it going to last, right? Like, what, like how long? And I'm sure this is such a relevant question for so many people. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking that when we when we are afraid of losing provision, we want to hoard. Mm -hmm. We want to hold on to it. We don't want to give. But especially in the in the month of Dhul Hijjah that we find ourselves in, and you know, with the state that Yemen is in, and there's so many opportunities to give. Um, what happens is that Allah says that if you if you give, I'll give you more, mm -hmm. right? Like that's what we believe in that you know as a principle and so i found that even when i gave like a little bit allah always gave back and subhanallah like sometimes i wouldn't even give sometimes i would just make the intention of giving and even before i gave allah would give back to me and i was like whoa like like there's like once you take that first step allah's gonna be like i got you you know you just gotta like trust him enough mm. and this is still a learning process for me but subhanallah like I would tell anybody to experiment with that. Like when you feel like holding on, yeah. when you feel like holding on, just give, right? Just, yeah. just for the sake, just even if it's a dollar, um, just give it for His sake, and and you'll find that it's always going to come back to you. That's so beautiful. This requires a lot of trust in Him to know exactly yeah. who He is, and He says He's going to do it. So why are we feeling like He's not? Yeah, that's you know when you mentioned the the even the kafirs and, and the believe in Him, I or mm -hmm. He provides for. I just wanted to go back quickly, and I just love this quote. Um, it said, The sweetness of his love is not in food and drink, as even disbelievers and beasts have that in common with you. Instead, join the angels in sweetness of his remembrance and utter devotion to Allah, because the souls cannot bear the dribble of the egos. 
And I just love that so much. It's like everybody he provides, like you mentioned before, everyone. Like we have a commonality with everyone. But then we have to join the angels, you know, in their love and their remembrance and, and all of that. So what you said really just reminded me about it. That And, and they have a complete unshaken devotion to Allah. You know, when he's like, okay, do this. They're like, sure. You know, they just do it because they know it's coming from a place which is going to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And so we have to be on that same mind f- mindset as well. Mm-hmm. I love that, mashallah. Um, and I had a little quote here where he's doing the fugitive slave analogy. That's one, mm-hmm. another one of his analogy, which was really, really nice. And yeah. he says, he asked you to cross over to him. Oh, moreover, you are a fugitive slave. He asked mm-hmm. you to cross over to him, but instead you fled from him. Since fleeing manifests through deeds, states, and aspirations. Hence, you are unmindful in your prayer, speaking gibberish during your fast, or complaining about Allah's kindness. Are you then not a fugitive? Like, are you just not somebody that who shouldn't be where he's at? I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. I am. You know, like a runaway yeah. person, like really bad. There was a um, part in this book where I felt, you know, this is a, this is, a, the author followed a Sufi madhab and I felt it really popped up. Like, I don't know, do you remember what the pages there were? And I'm like, I'm not really sure what all of this is. So there was a, a little bit of Sufism definitely in here, which I didn't. Oh yeah, they used the, they used the Shadali um, Tariqah. Um, it's by uh, Sheikh Abul Hassan al-Shadali. He's the one who established the Tariqah and that's the one that they're using. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I believe I'm not sure, but I, I believe the author of this book it was his student. Yeah, it if was something like that, correctly. if I remember correctly as well. They mentioned him several times um, in here. Yeah, yeah. So that was something just to remember. Um, I think it was it was towards page 25 and 26 where I was like, all right, I don't fully yeah. understand. There's a level yeah. which I'm not getting is because I don't really know that very well. But it's surrounded yeah. itself with serenity and and all those things. So actually, before we get there, uh, it is our next session. And we titled it as On Good Company. And the quote that I want to share with you is this one. If you had searched with sincerity, then you would have found them. The reason for you not finding them, the people of the hereafter, is your lack of preparation. It's like if you, you know, we are always supposed to be around good company. And no matter where we are, especially now, we can find them, right? We can find it online. We can find it in a form of a classroom. We'll be taking a class together online. And mm-hmm. and it really actually um, really sticks with me because... When I was back in a small, smaller city, and I talk about that several times, I did not have a very good environment, but I wanted it really badly. And what he's saying is, is that you did not have it because you were not prepared. So I was not prepared in my heart to, for it, so that's why I didn't find it. Otherwise, I would have found it. And I'm like, oh, so the responsibility of the good company in that way is on me. If I don't mm-hmm. have good enough friends, then I'm not a good enough friend myself, you know, to the other person I need to be working on that. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to share that. Do you have some thoughts about it? Yeah, um, I was just thinking, like, like I guess people, they try to, like, when they embark upon the journey of, like, self-rectification, right, they might be like, 
well, I need a, a buddy to like hold me, you know, to, to go along or I need a, I need a teacher first or I need a mentor first. Mm. But it's like, you know, if you have a basic understanding of Islam, you can still embark upon the journey mm. and you can still do the things that you know you're supposed to be doing. And then Allah will bring the people that you need. Mm-hmm. Right. But it sh- I don't think it should be an excuse that you- you're not in good company right now. So you can't really do the inner work or you can't really you know, worship Allah the way you want to because you don't have the motivation. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I feel like even um, like single people, right? They're like, oh, I can't wait to get married because I want my spouse to wake me for Fajr. You know, like it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because yeah. like your mom's waking up for Fajr your whole life. Like you haven't been waking up for Fajr. Like all of a sudden when you get married, you're going to start waking up for Fajr. You're going to start becoming practicing or like, you know, somebody's like, oh yeah, I can't wait to have this like amazing best friend or my spouse to like keep me on the dean or we're going to be dean buddies. It's like a very romanticized idea. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like it never happens that way. Like, I don't like, if you're not practicing before, you're not going to be, you're not going to change because of another person. Mm-hmm. In fact, you're actually going to find them annoying if they do do that for you. You know, like if you're not playing, praying your sunnahs and all of a sudden you get married to somebody who's a little bit more religious or practicing than you and now they're pulling you along, it's actually going to cause friction. It's not going to be the fairy tale that you imagined it, imagined it to be because you have to kind of it's already from be you. on that path. On your own. Yeah, it has to come from you. And and then Allah will bring the, the like-minded people to your life, whoever they are. <laughs> I just right? love that. And you know, the <laughs> thing about the whole spouse thing is also like if you're not practicing and in our case, he is practicing, why would he want to marry you? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, if, if they were looking at me, I had some, some things, right? I'm like, I don't want a person who is, you know, going to bars and whatever. I don't want that life, right? Like, I have a standard. So then why am I going to go with someone and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make him not go to bars. I think that is a failing step to be standing on. Like, you're already starting off on something that is so shaky that what's the point about that? Like, it's not very smart at all. And exactly. <laughs> yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, it just makes me laugh because it is a romanticizing of something that doesn't even exist. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like it's also a procrastination method, right? Like Shaitan always has that thing where he's like, you know, people always say, oh, I'll do this when. It's like, I'll put on hijab after this. I'll, you know, I'll become a better person when this happens or I, when I became, when, I, when I'm around good company or whatever it is or when I go to, when I embark upon this official journey of seeking Islamic knowledge, then I'm going to change all my habits and I'm going to become a whole new person all at once. But it doesn't happen all at once. You know, we, we just don't, we just don't work that way. And I think, um, I think the point that he's also getting at is like, how sincere are you on the path to Allah? Are you only going to walk the path when you have somebody pushing you? Like, do you need somebody to push you to Allah? Or do you have enough of that drive inside of you that you're going to start walking towards Allah, even if you have to crawl, you know, like... Are you going to do it before you have somebody doing it with you? And what we know for a fact is that we do have that drive because our soul has that drive. It wants to go back to Allah. So we have it. We just have to uncover it sometimes. And you know, when you're talking about what can I do if I don't have people around me? Well, we have books like these, you know, and other books where we can be like, all right, how can I begin this journey on myself? And inshallah, someone else will come along the way where I can grow even more. But yeah, I need to be working constantly on this. Even if, mm-hmm. even if this is the only thing I have until I die, mm-hmm. this was something. And I did that on my own. And I think that's something to be proud of. You know, exactly. Yeah. And I, I, love, I love the point you mentioned about the book because um, that's even how I found people like, um, like I found, 
even Islamic books, like how did I how did I know which books to read? It was because I was following like-minded people on social media mm-hmm. and I would see them posting reflections, you included, right? And I would see people posting the reflections and I was like, oh, here's a like-minded person. Like, I want to follow them. I want to interact with this person because they are walking the path that I want to walk, you know? And um, you kind of, you try to, you, you like take away the access of the people whose path you're not trying to walk so you can make space for the people who are walking, like who are kind of, you know, journeying towards Allah, and then you can join them. And then I think through that, we find more people, we find more resources, you know, like right now, we're just having a discussion, but then maybe somebody will find a class to go join, you know, and then they'll be studying text with a teacher. And I feel like that's when you find like minded people, they can even lead you to the different avenues through which you can better yourself. I love that, mashallah. And it's really important, though, right? Like like minded people who are on the like properly like-minded people you know like the people yeah. that you want to be amongst and i think mm-hmm. we forget that in social media completely i think it's because it's really easy to hit that follow button you know but it's mm-hmm. like and i'm noticing that now so you know like we everyone goes through waves of things and sometimes you're up sometimes you're down especially when you have different trials happening which we have a lot happening right now i feel like this is a very high fit in that time for us and it's mm-hmm. still only going to grow it's not going to get any better mm-hmm. so I feel that it reveals sometimes people are tested and sometimes the negative comes up. And and when that happens, it affects me. Like, I am like, oh, God, I don't want to see this. You know, it's like immediately, like, like, why is this popping up? And I always say that Instagram has been my happy bubble for a long time. And I cultivated mm-hmm. it. And I was very careful about it because I couldn't find that company. I needed to find it online. And I'm like, I cannot be having stupidity around me I don't need that I need it to be mm-hmm. a happy peaceful calming inspiring space and now mm-hmm. there's a lot of those little voices happening because the trials are bringing it in front of people and I feel like mm-hmm. I have to unfollow a couple of people and I've been saying that for some time and I just haven't done it and I think I really need to because mm-hmm. even online it does affect you and and you don't need that this life is way too short for mm-hmm. us to need it exactly yeah I totally agree with the whole social media thing because I was at some point following 600 people. I don't even know why. Yeah, I don't know how you went happened. crazy. You did. Yeah, I was telling you about this before. I was like, why am I following 600 people? Like my feed was just, it was just exploding and it became so overwhelming that I literally just went back to zero. Like I had to unfollow everybody and then I slowly started following back friends and family and the accounts that really like, you know, just spoke to my heart and like helped me have like a, they like, helped me grow basically you know personal and you know spiritual development whatever and um yeah just and when you when you talk to me about how instagram is your happy place i was like wait that's possible like i can make social media my happy place so i just yes. went out on a quest to do that like i started following things i like like i love comics for example mm. so i started following these like cute animal comics and stuff just little cute things here and there just to make me smile because i was like hey this is something that makes me happy i, I don't have to follow like toxic people or people who are talking about drama all the time or you know like the latest controversies i don't need to be following that kind of stuff you know so i think you, should, you can you can create a little happy bubble i so. you know talking about the controversies there was uh-huh. there was a situation that happened on my instagram stories and i was like what are they talking about and i clicked on that account and that was a mistake subhanallah like it's just just like it's it felt like it was like a 
vomit of just I did not want to be part of it it felt so uncomfortable and and mm-hmm. in that this was really interesting in that it was like oh yeah this person is talking about real Islam you know and I was like well, all right <laughs> so let's see because you know there's that little old oh, the real Islam, you know people do that and I'm like right, I clicked on yeah. it and that person was not even talking about the real Islam they actually were an ex-Muslim who were oh. using verses. You just had to read it to understand what was happening. And I'm like, oh, subhanAllah, like, this is exactly how things go downhill from one thing. Maybe the intention of the original poster was good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then how, because of the tone that it took and because of, of how it just was not good, it turned mm-hmm. into something that can actually eventually lead people astray if they were to follow that one comment, you know? So it's really mm-hmm. important. And I was like, God, oh, this is so nasty. You know, and it's coming from an account which I wouldn't expect it to come from who shared it on the stories. I'm like, okay, I need to pare down mm-hmm. because, I mean, yeah. look how what it opened up to. And I was, like, feeling nasty the whole day, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. It just affects you that way. And speaking mm-hmm. of feeling nasty, I like what he said in one of the quotes. Um, it yeah. is also on page 26. Mm-hmm. And um, if only you were to treat yourself like your quote. Whenever it gets dirty, you wash it. And whenever anything of it rips, you mend and fix it. Then you would be righteous. <laughs> the felicitous, felicitous yeah. word. Felicitous. I think it's felicitous. Yeah. I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, so that really, really uh, impacted me for several reasons. One is because mm-hmm. I really like to be mindful of my clothes. I like to know where I'm getting it from. And when you're like getting it from a good source, they're more expensive. And so mm-hmm. you have to care for them better. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, me and my husband wash clothes differently. We don't wash the same. He does his own laundry at Dumal own. And if somebody do you want me to do yours? I'm like, no, I don't because you're going to ruin my clothes, you know, and I can't <laughs> be doing that. I cannot. So that really affected me because I'm like, yes, you know, treating yourself, it's not, it's like mm-hmm. your quote, you get dirty and wash it, but you treat it with respect also. Mm-hmm. And yeah. all of that together, when you're seeing, oh my God, I am failing in this. I think I did this wrong. Today. It's the same Mohasaba concept again. I did mm-hmm. this wrong. Let me immediately address it because if I don't fix that rip in the quote, next time I wait, it's gonna it's gonna be bigger, you know. Mm-hmm. It's gonna just rip even more. So all of that just kind of brought it all together for me. This idea of self rectification, improvement, all those things. Yeah, and that your quote example reminds me, like, kind of how like whoever is whatever they're passionate about, mm-hmm. like whatever objects they're passionate about, or or like whatever is valuable to somebody, that's what they take care of, mm-hmm. right? Like some people take care of their clothes a lot. Some people take care of their shoes. Um, you know, some people take care of their cars, constantly polishing them. And, you know, like my brother's a huge car enthusiast. He can never get enough of like, you know, taking care of his car. He's always doing something to it. And that, that you know, just there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm not trying to say anything's wrong with that. But I'm just saying like, why don't we take the same care of our heart mm-hmm. and our soul? Like how much how much time do we really spend thinking about if our heart needs to be cleansed, if our soul needs to be cleansed, you know, to tawbah and istighfar and all of that. We like to be distracted about those things. Oh, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to think about it. Netflix. <laughs> you know, like, I don't. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the reality. That's the reality. That's why we're here talking about it so that we can, we can fix that about ourselves. And, you know, talking about life and how little it is, I just started a class. Um, it's like a small nine-day Dulhijjah class on Surah Mulk. And mm-hmm. so you have a recitation and then he talks a little bit of reflection on it. And he talked about Surah Mulk and, and, and the whole concept. I want to explain all of that. But he mentions how there are two deaths and two lives. 
He combines Surah Mulk beginning and Surah Tahrim end. And he mentions that there are two deaths mm. and two lives. And you have the life and, you know, all of that. And he mentions this life that we are on is on this spiritual journey that we're on. And this life is the shortest of our journeys. Before we existed, it was nothing. Mm -hmm. And it was long, you know, like when the souls were created. And this is the shortest one. In the in our grave, obviously, it's the longest that we know of now. And then after that is a hereafter, which is never ending. Mm -hmm. So yeah. this is the shortest life. And it's worth it for us to value ourselves enough to give us a good chance for the other ones. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, you had a final quote on this to share? And it's actually his oh. last quote on our, on our section too, I think. Okay, do we have it written or should I just read it? No, oh, we don't have it written. You can read it. Okay, yeah. so I think, so this, this, shit, this quote was not by the author himself, but it was by the, the one who's whose madhab or whatever we're following, Sheikh Abu Hassan al-Shadili, he said, the friends of Allah are like brides and brides are not seen by criminals. And I've seen this quote like circulating around on social media in the past. And I was like, that's so interesting. What does that mean? Yeah. And I remember having a discussion about this with somebody and we were trying to figure out like, okay, what does that exactly mean? But then it makes perfect sense because you read the paragraph that came right before it where he was talking about good company, right? Mm -hmm. And I love how he said brides because everybody like, you know, the way brides were treated traditionally, like they were kind of, isolated away from people, taken care of, kept hidden, like a valuable, like precious jewel, you know, they were like adorned and beautified and like just uh, the imagery that he provides. And then he's like a criminal, right? So he's like, a criminal is not going to have access to a bride. The bride is well protected. She's, you know, surrounded by her friends and family. She's, you know, um, there's a lot of like good energy and positive vibes about her. Like if you're a criminal, if you're just somebody who's on the street doing like you know, whatever, you're not going to have access to, to her, you know, and it's, it's like that. It's like the, the good, the good people, like, I guess the gems in the eyes of Allah, right? Mm -hmm. The the friends of Allah, they're so valuable that you're not just going to get access to them mm -hmm. just like that. You know, like, I feel like you have to, I think what he's trying to say is that you have to kind of work towards being the type of person and then you become worthy of meeting them and learning from them and kind of like benefiting from them. Yeah, I that was beautiful about I didn't put the criminal on the street and the bride inside protected together. Cuz it was it's a yeah. little bit when you read it you're like, "What? Like what is happening?" Yeah, it's not <laughs> the first time I was like, "What does that mean?" Like I I I thought about this quote so much. I still don't know like I'd never really heard a scholar explain it. That's just the way I understood it. Yeah. Um I just found such a profound example like he says he, he says on page 26, "If you want to see the bride, then you have to forsake immorality." Like if, oh yeah. Yeah. If you if you want a righteous in this case, a person in your life, then mm -hmm. she's not gonna be interested if you are you know filthy with immorality. That's how I also. But I think I, I think it actually is a good point because we have to remember that these books were written a long time ago, and sometimes the the wording that's used is very much like wait hang on you have to put yourself back a little bit and put your change your glasses as they say to go back because he talks a little bit about um slavery here too there was a point mm. where he mentions that and i was like oh this will not fly at 2020 <laughs> at all you know yeah yeah and, yeah. and i was like oh, because about training a slave and then and then mm -hmm. going up and i was like dang but yeah i mean yeah. but it was very relevant to his time period and, and I can we can still think that right now if you think of kings and queens and, you know, even people that, you know, I mean, you would think about it. It's really sad. But the celebrity culture, there's regular yeah. celebrity like anybody, 
you know they're like oh my god yeah you know we're gonna have a meet and greet you dress up and so well and yeah and it's just very sad because we don't do that to where it really needs to happen but we'll do it for someone who is just not even caring about their life yeah exactly so that was a really good discussion do you have any any takeaways that you want to take from this um, I don't know what I was thinking, but... And this is open to everybody, that you're listening, that you're watching us, or listening to us on a podcast, for you as well. What is your takeaway? Yeah, the listeners, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think for me, I mentioned already a little bit of what, what I really want to get from this, um, mm-hmm. is this idea of what is, what I want to find, what is that pride in my heart that is stopping me from something? from achieving goodness like what is it and the way to uncover that is is you know istighfar and stuff which we talked about in the previous one and other Mm -hmm. ways of purifying your heart um so for me i want to dig a little bit deeper and be like what is it that's really hindering me um from achieving that level uh, of of in in prayer like i want to find that Uh, that would be my takeaway yeah yeah I think that's a good one. Um, for me, I feel like I'm going backwards a little bit because um, I think one of the things I was going to mention before, but I, I wasn't able to, was we started off with envy, right? Um, yeah. And we talked about envy and stuff like that. So I was thinking that um, basically, like, I feel like one of the, like, what, what basically envy is like you kind of want something that somebody else has, but you also don't want them to have it. That's the worst kind of envy. Um and that's the one we see huge in from when we say when we read Surah Al-Falaq, right? And um, but then there's another kind of like jealousy. It's not really envy, but it's jealousy where you don't want it to be taken away from the other person, but you kind of want it for yourself as well. Mm-hmm. But that's still that's still jealousy, and it still destroys your good deeds. So we should be, you know, beware of that as well. Mm-hmm. So what I what I thought was um, somebody shared a post on Facebook a couple of weeks ago that I was reading, and they were talking about how in the Witter Da'a, um, the the Dua of Kunut, the one that the Shafi'i people read, there's a, a, um, a statement in there that says, Allah, bless me in what you have given me. And I think that was for me like a, a game changer because I was like, if anybody's struggling with these feelings of um, that, why don't I have something? Like, you don't, you, don't, you don't necessarily want it to be taken away from the other person, but you kind of want it for yourself. Mm-hmm. But that thing, like Baraka is such a huge thing. Like if you're, you can have everything in the world but if, you're, if there's no barakah in it, it's never going to benefit you. And in, instead, it might even make you miserable. But if you have very little and Allah blesses it for you, mm-hmm. like, that's it. You don't need to ever look at any what anybody else has because Allah can bless it for you. And I feel like that's so powerful. I think that's why Dua of Qunut, like, in so many ways, it's so powerful, right? That's why, you know, so many Muslims in Ramadan, and, you know, they read it after Taraweeh, and, it, you know, everybody's crying. And I feel like it's such a, it's such a powerful Dua. But for me, that specific line was just very powerful because I was like, oh, like, it's actually so easy. Like, you can just ask Allah to bless you in what you have, and that's it. Like, that's the solution. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. it just seems so simple, but it, it, it really, I feel like it really works. Um, like, Allah can just, you know, make so much good come out of something so little. He actually know? mentions that on page 45, uh, 25. I didn't read that before. Oh, save mm-hmm. of Allah, if you are to ask Allah for something, then ask mm-hmm. him to better you in all respects and that he betters you so that you become content with him planning your affairs for you. Well, I didn't even see that. <laughs> no. <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. love that your reflection was on, on online with that one, um, your takeaway, inshallah. 
So this was our book club session for today. I hope and we hope that you guys really enjoyed it and you benefited from it. Let us know in the comments your takeaway or DM or whatever. And we're actually going to be sharing your reviews on Instagram. So message us your reviews, what you think about this, and we'll put you out there and we'll share your words with everyone. Um, and inshallah, that is it for today. Anything else you want to add, Shaheen, before we go? Um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you guys on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> in the comments, in the DMs, just let us know your feedback and any questions, whatever. Just yeah, let us know what you thought about today's <laughs> format, how it went, was it better, you know, things like that. So we want to improve uh, this discussion, inshallah. Thank you very much for joining us today. And mm -hmm. we will see you next time. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum. Assalamu alaikum.